Now this morning, I want to go very quickly, and our time will be brief because of the communion time at the end. But I want to take you to Galatians chapter 4, 4, and then to John 3, verse 16. And I want you to listen carefully. I've entitled the message today, It's Christmas, Isn't It? It is Christmas, isn't it? Where do you think that word Christmas came from? What is the first letter? C-H-R-I-S-T. This is our time to celebrate Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. Listen to Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman and made under the law. And then in John 3, verses 16 and 17, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Did you hear that? Don't get mad at God. We were condemned already. God did not send his son into the world to condemn us. We were already guilty. But let me read on. But that the world, us, could be saved, forgiven. That's the reason Jesus came. He came to take care of paying the sin debt for all of us. I'm going to read you a little story here that goes back a long, long time ago. Uh, matter of fact, the first Christmas sermon I ever preached 50 years ago at Sagemont, I, uh, I used a little bit of this, and I just wanted to share it all with you real quickly. Now, use your imagination for a minute. Let me set the tone for what I'll say in just a brief time that I have. Once upon a time in a faraway land, there was a little town named Pleasantville. This little town, more than anything else, was proud of its mayor. He was referred to as the Grand Mayor. He was proud of his title, and the town was proud of its mayor. Everyone agreed that he had done more for the town than anyone. And one day, another official of the town made a recommendation to the town council, and he proposed that the 25th day of the last month of the year be chosen to publicly honor the Grand Mayor of Pleasantville. He suggested that it be called Mayor's Day and that, and that the entire day would be spent honoring him, the mayor. Well, the mayor excited, was excited about that day, he began to imagine how he would be honored on that day for what he had done. And, and the people began to get ready for Mayor's Day. Well, listen to this. You may be familiar with you. They hung lights. They stretched a giant banner across the street, which, which read, Merry Mayor's Day. The supermarket began to display trees. Well, the mayor failed to see the connection between the trees and his birthday, but he really didn't object, seeing that everyone was having such a great time. Well, every day the mayor rose early. He dressed up and he waited for the photographers to come over and make his picture, but they never did. They explained they regretted it, but they were so busy, for there were only seven more shopping days till Mayor's Day. It was about that time that the mayor began to notice that some things were going wrong. For instance, he noticed that one of the civic organizations was having a Mayor's Day cocktail party. 
Now, he had always been against that sort of thing. But the local police were also picking up young people who were destroying their minds with drugs celebrating the mayor's day. He thought everyone would be talking about him, <laughs> uh, but they weren't. Someone did write a little poem. It was the night before mayor's day. They began to sing songs. Most of them had nothing to do with mayor's day. One of them was entitled Sled Ride. The other one was called Dingling Bells. The other one was called Wonder Winterland. Another one wrote one, I'm Dreaming of a White Mayor's Day. And then another one was called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Moose. And they continued talking about a jolly round saint instead of the mayor. They all began buying nuts. To the mayor, that seemed appropriate. You'll get it in a minute. Finally, the mayor's day arrived. The mayor sat alone, nobody called. Those that did remember the mayor had no time to call for they were busy unwrapping their presents sitting under those trees. As they began to think of the turkey, they forced the thought of the mayor out of their minds. To think about the forgotten mayor would ruin their happy thoughts. But the mayor had been forgotten. That's a trivial story. But think with me for just a minute. Anybody have an argument to say that every Christmas we get closer to being what Christmas is supposed to be? Does anybody have an argument that you could write a book or a story for a magazine and said, you know, I've gone through a lot of Christmases and I'm just here to tell you every year they just get more of being what they're supposed to be. I would challenge you, regardless of your IQ and your writing ability and your research, to argue the facts that the wheels keep coming off. Now, this is not a put down of some of the things that we do, but it is a reminder of what we must have as preeminence. More and more Christmases resemble less and less the birthday of Christ. Thank God for the first time. Last year, we weren't supposed to say Merry Christmas. Last year, we wanted to keep that quiet. We might offend somebody in Vietnam or, or in Africa or in China or whatever if we were to use the name Christmas because it had the name Christ in it. And so that's encouragement. However, the point of the matter is we still see ourselves trying to figure out, can I in any way work in a gift of missions? Can I in any way work in a time to get together with my Christian friends and praise God from whom all blessings flow? And can I have a time when I can get with my children, my grandchildren and talk to them about who God is and how he sent his son and how he's going to come back again and how he loves people and, and wants to forgive us of all of our sin. The question is, what in the world are we thinking when we ignore year after year the, the cry of God, remember my son, remember my gift, remember the original Christmas day. Materialism is so degenerated Christmas. And it's almost apologetic when we do talk about it being a Christian holiday. Those that have been too poor all year to give to the poor or to give to the Lord do what they always do at Christmas and that is take out whatever their credit cards will allow and charge it and spend the next 12 months trying to pay off what they charge at Christmas and then repeat it year after year after year and then wonder, Lord, why don't you bless me more 
Because you own the cattle on a thousand hills and all this in the heavens and all this in the earth is yours. And I just struggle, struggle, struggle. And the Lord must look down at us at times and say, why are you struggling? Who is it that's fooling you? Where did you come up with the idea that this world was going to be the one that would bless you when I, above all people, want to bless you? It seems to me that if we ever bow before the, the, the nation's way of celebrating Christmas and ignore God in the process, then we have a problem. I do believe we can give gift, gifts to one another. I think all that is wonderful. It is symbolic, but don't forget, God wants you. He wants you. He doesn't want your cash or your credit cards first. He wants you. The Bible says that the people in the New Testament, they first gave themselves to the Lord. It might be okay when everybody's there so they won't think that you're wacky. When they've all gone down somewhere to you to go into wherever the Christmas tree is and wherever you're going to celebrate and just stand there for just a minute and thank God from whom all blessings flow. And let God know, I know what this is about. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you for letting us be together this year. Thank you for letting us share gifts. But God, I want you to know when I see that tree, I think of another tree outside the gates of Jerusalem called Calvary, where you gave your life in order that we could celebrate what we're celebrating day after day as the family of God. Even Christmas is more than just the anniversary of Jesus' birth. Every time you think of Christmas, you, think, you need to think of the entire incarnation of God when the Word became flesh. You start off in Bethlehem. You see a 12-year-old boy in the temple discussing theology with the smartest people of his day, not intimidated because he was the Christ. He knew the answers. He knew far more than the theologians. He knew the Father, he knew that he was the son and he knew about the Holy Spirit. And in that environment, God began to bless us because you see that little boy went through life in a tough, tough part of the world where the Roman Empire was out to just wipe out Christians. And in that environment, in that sin-filled environment, the Bible says he never sinned. And then the time came for him, that little baby in Bethlehem, who grew up and worked as a, in, with, with Joseph as a carpenter. And then the time comes for that 30th and 31st birthday, and God said it's time now to move to the next chapter. And Jesus Christ laid down his life in order to buy my life, my eternal life, and your eternal life. He paid for it, paid in full. You're not going to get something in 30 days from him. It's all paid in full. He laid down his life. He sacrificed. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels and wiped the Roman Empire off the mouth, but he didn't. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. I don't care what you've done. I, I don't care how bad you feel how angry you may be, how lonely you may be. Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. And I have seen in my lifetime 
life after life after life that has been gloriously changed by the person Jesus that was born in Bethlehem and died outside the gates of Jerusalem. How are our children seeing Christmas? Our grandchildren, their friends? How are those that were not raised in a Christian environment, Christian home, how are they seeing Christian Christmas? What does it mean in the fullness of time? There's a time to be born, there's a time to die. None of us know what another day will bring. Four Sundays ago, I stood out here in the foyer. David Doris, who one of one of the greatest guys that, that I ever met, but he had an illness, he could not talk, but he could sure smile. He'd always look me up and I'd, sit, I'd stand and talk to him. Usually he'd catch me right outside the library. David, on that week, went out to Lakey, Texas on a four-wheeler and his life was taken instantaneously. They had a party for him down at Danbury because he had so much to do with building our beautiful lodge that's down in Danbury, Texas. Ryan Pittman was sitting there at that table. Ryan Pittman was celebrating that night. But this past week, Ryan stood right over here last Sunday. I talked to him. For those that sit over there in the first service, he was always there to greet me when I'd come in. Ryan was down at Danbury. He was on, on his way back home with his brother, 85 years old. Ryan was, had wonderful, healthy body, sharp mind. On his way back, he had a major stroke. His funeral will be here in the morning. Last Sunday, he stood right over there, as he did every Sunday. Listen to me, folks. You, we can get so caught up in fantasy that we forget reality. None of us know what another day is going to bring. That doesn't put a damper on Christmas. This ought to be the best Christmas you ever have. We'll, we'll have others before Christmas in this church family that are going to be with the Lord. None of us know who that'll be. But as large as we are, that will happen. But I want you to know something. God knows what's going on. God holds this world in his hand. Christmas is our time to share the love of God, not the judgment of God. That's his job. Our job is to love people unconditionally. Our job is to let our light shine so people will see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. We talk so much about giving at Christmas season, but the thing God wants us to do first is give ourselves unto him. Don't forget that those little hands in the little manger at Bethlehem were the same hands that was nailed to a cross on Calvary. Same hands. Those lips that cried, Mama, Mama, as a little child. Those same lips on the cross said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachiani, abachiani. My God, my God, why? Why is this taking place? Why have you forsaken me? And that side that was wrapped in swaddling clothes or that body one day was ripped open by a Roman spear because God so loved the world. And Jesus said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Father, not my will, but thine be done. I've come here to be loved. I've come here to love people. I've come to love people here in Jerusalem. I've come to love this thief on the cross. 
And, and that thief cried out and he said to the other thief, he said, Jesus doesn't need to be dying. We, we did wrong. We ought to be, but not him. And he said to Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said to that thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Glory. Folks, that's love. That's love. That's love. That's love. Don't let us ever, ever, ever forget what real love is. God loved us. And while that thief spoke, there was one other person there. He was the executioner. The executioner. He had seen all kinds of people die outside the eastern gates. That was just the way they did things. And that executioner testified to the press. I've executed a lot of people, but I never saw a man die like the man that I just executed. And he was talking about Jesus. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. To the thief, come on. Come on, I died for you. I didn't die for, for just preachers. I didn't die for theologians. I didn't die for faithful workers and tithers on the gross. I died for whosoever will. That's the one that we're celebrating. That's the kind of love we want to emulate. We want, if you want to try to outgive somebody, try to outgive God. If you're one of those who's just afraid that somebody's going to give you something that's, that costs more than what you're giving them and you're going to feel bad about it, just move that on up a tier and try to outgive God. You can't do it. You can't do it. He is an awesome, awesome God. So as I close, I want to encourage you this morning to make your peace with God. I want to encourage you this morning to make your peace with other people. I want to encourage you this morning to make peace with yourself. With yourself. With yourself. I'm talking to a lot of people right now, both in the room and by the media. And you can't stand yourself, much less others, and certainly not the Son of God. But God wants you to understand, I put you here for a purpose. Trust me, follow me, obey me, and let me use you. Nobody can take your place. You are a gift to others through me. I gave my life for you. I gave my life for them. Help deliver the gift. Tell them that they're welcome to come. I had two people this morning when I gave away the Bibles, came back in, and they wanted to get a Bible for somebody else. Well, we can't do that, but I thought the thought was good. Yeah, I thought, you know, they're thinking right anyway. I uh, wasn't able to, to, to give them the Bible, but I said, bring them to church, and I'll sure do it. <laughs> but see, that's the way we think. But when God says, look, 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 I love you. I sent my son to die for you. I'm coming back to get you. I'll protect you from the evil one. I will guide you into all truth. I'll supply your every need according to my riches, not MasterCard, not Visa, not Discover, not the bank. According to my riches, I will provide you everything you need in this life as well as in the life to come. And we're going to go and sit on somebody's knee that has a terrible beard and say, I'm counting on you. <laughs> and he's a little deceiver. I saw the commercial. He went out and left all them people there and started to get out in his sleigh and he pushes this button, turns it over, the sleigh goes under and a Mercedes Benz comes right up on top. <laughs> and then it answers that lifelong question if you've ever wondered, 
how he gets around so fast. That's all it is, $80,000 and you can get around faster, all right? But aren't you glad that there's a God that spoke not a word? He was silent. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Let me tell you something. There's a great Christmas plan for you. The Pittman family started celebrating. The second the heart stopped, started singing praises to God and they hadn't stopped and they won't stop because to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. That's a gift from God.